Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been, I believe, just watching recently, but I'm not positive. I'm Terry. <laughs> yes, just watching. And I'm Mary Beth. And this week we are talking Broken Animals, Truffle Pigs, a decade-spanning platonic bromance, crazy women, and Chuck Palahniuk's guts Blech, come to 3D life. Boy, I am very curious to hear what you think about this uh, next Entry in Final Destination. But before we do that, let's uh, let's start with Truffle Pigs. I'm curious. Real quick, before mm. I... I just want to say one thing. I started from, and I absolutely love it. It gave me nightmares. Yeah. And I'm very much enjoying it. I just wanted to share that. It's good. Yeah, so everyone should watch it too. First season's on Prime. <laughs> First season is on Prime. I am on episode four. It's very good and very scary. So if you want scary TV... There it is. It's the place to it's go. It's the place to go. But anyway, Trouble Pigs. So I yeah. got, I've had kind of like my eye on this movie for a bit. It's called Peppergrass. And okay. it is, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a food horror movie, basically, which we all know I'm into. And I know you're into. And it follows these two restaurant owners at like the beginning of the pandemic who are basically like we need to do something to keep the restaurant open we need to go get truffles from this guy who knew my grandfather this woman's grandfather and what ends up 
trying to be just kind of like a way to survive turned into this like crazy survival horror in the middle of the Canadian woods and like the freezing cold. And it's like mumble, it's like mumble gore pig with Nicolas Cage, except if it was from the perspective of the people robbing him of the pig. Okay. And it's pretty slow at parts. Like I won't lie. There's parts of it where I'm like, okay, it's a lot of just like in the woods. But I just really was very like fascinated by it's kind of like really fascinating take on survival horror because obviously we have this like survival horror in the woods, but we also have like they are trying to survive in the pandemic. So it's a really fascinating like mm. pandemic horror movie too and specifically looks at how the restaurant industry is impacted by COVID, which I find fascinating because my mom runs a restaurant and like went through a lot of shit in, during COVID and knew a lot of people and going through a lot of this stuff during COVID. So it's just like all very weird and fascinating. And it's like just niche enough that it feels different, but it also like follows some familiar tropes, but subverts them in a really interesting way. And that comes out on VOD in June, but there's no embargo. And I just like kind of wanted to shout it out because this is going to be, a, it's coming out from terror films, which like a lot of very like hit or miss movies smaller budget and i think it's something that's like a really interesting weird mumble gore experience about food horror yeah and it also is star it is directed and co-directed and stars a an asian woman Chantal han um and then is also directed by stephen garbos and written by him but it's a really cool like you know women co-directed and led and written movie so it's i think it's going to be like very much on people's radars but i would like to put it on some people's radars yeah i i will i will admit i did receive um an email about this and i immediately discredited it because of the cover yeah the cover is like really bad for what it <laughs> it's is it's not good sorry to whoever designed it but <laughs> oh that's this much is better. the one that tells you more about it and is like much that's more much the better. vibe this okay. is the vibe. See, would have been more interested in it. Right? Like, I just... This is the problem... This is a problem with so many movies. Purpurina put the Blackwell, the Blackwell Ghost Experience in the, in the chat, and I'm assuming that is about the cover, because there are so many movies, like webcasts, for example, that, like, have these terrible covers and these terrible posters... But then you watch it and you're like, wait, that was incredible. And it is like such a testament to how powerful a poster is and how important a poster is, especially for like an indie movie. And it's like, it, they're trying to make Peppergrass feel like this like crazy revenge thriller when it's a fucking mumblecore movie about two restaurant owners like trying to make it with the pandemic and like the fucked up shit that we do to try to make it in the world. And it's like, it's so much more grounded than that fucking poster makes it out to be. So this is me saying, watch Peppergrass, ignore the poster with the pig on the front, and just give it a try. I pro And like, again, it's very slow of parts. If you're not a big, like, slow burn, mumble gore fan, it's not going to be for you. But if you like that kind of stuff, give this a shot. Like, it's definitely gonna, I think it'll, if it, 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 this has a potential to find its audience, and I would like to maybe help it find its audience. Yeah, and there's a truffle pig gets on a car. Like, an actual truffle pig, like, climbs up on a car. And also, like, breaks someone's kneecap, basically. So, like... Wow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but speaking of that broken animal... <laughs> yeah, so, um, I went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Jesus Volume Christ. 3 this weekend. Jesus Christo. <laughs> 
Have you seen it yet? No, I just know it's supposed to make it, make you fucking cry because it involves raccoons and animal testing or some shit like that. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, right off the top, right off the top, I'm going to warn everyone about uh, animal abuse because this movie is fucking vicious to animals. There's one point in early on in the movie where we're following a young rocket raccoon who has been thrown into like this jail cell and it's like a it's like a toy story sid moment where like these horrendously modified animals like fall out of the darkness and there is one that is a bunny that has like spider robot legs and like the martyrs thing except not on on the person's eyes but like over the mouth that bar that's like in martyrs at that woman it's like over it's over the bunny's like mouth and all you see is like her the poor bunny's red eyes and these robotic spider legs and it's absolutely horrifying and there's like a walrus whose name is teeth and he has been turned into almost like a a (laughs) four-wheeler What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And the poor otter that he runs into um, has had its arms removed and has robotic arms instead of animal arms. It's horrifying. It has this. This is a movie that is. uh, What I really like about this movie is that it's it's not about saving the universe. It is a more personal story. It's a more self-contained story. It's different than a lot of Marvel stories that we see. Yes, there is still apocalyptic moments once we get to the finale, but it is more contained and more driven by character than it is about a villain that wants to destroy the world or or destroy the universe or whatever that seems to be the big kind of operatic plot du jour for Marvel movies. It's more about this horrible, horrible villain, horrible villain, the most evil villain i've seen in a marvel movie played by i don't pr- know how to pronounce his name i apologize oh. chuck woody iwuji yes i've heard really good things about his performance in that movie his performance is he is terrifying this isn't one of those well i can kind of see where he's coming from moments this is someone that wants to build he thinks earth is bad and wants which okay but he also wants to like rebuild human society and so he is tinkering with all these organisms to make the perfect society and when he doesn't get that he destroys it all and starts over from scratch just raises everything to the ground and starts over from scratch like this is this guy is psychotic he is sociopathic he is absolutely horrifying and his performance is really really good in this and it's it's basically like there's like a ticking time clock in Rocket's body. They need to figure out how to save him. And so they end up trying to go through various paths to find out how to save their friend. And that's kind of the gist of the story. And it is really good, really intense. Um, and just a really nice goodbye to these oddball characters. And also a goodbye to kind of James Gunn working in the Marvel universe. Oh, he's going on yeah. To I forgot about do that. Do DC. So I, if you, if you like them, like I love the first, the first Guardians of the Galaxy is probably my favorite of the Marvel movies. The second one is not as good for me, um, but it is still decent. This one is more in line with the first one. Oh, um, okay, cool. It's, 
they let him get away with a whole lot more. Um, there is a really gnarly shot of um, one of the characters that's like a reveal, and it's really gross. It has the Marvel's first F-bomb. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> like, Ooh. <laughs> I, oh, no, I know, but that's like, so for considering no, how like tightly controlled that's, Disney is yeah, that's on point. their property... And the fact that it is so, I feel like most Disney, most Marvel movies are so sanitized of like, yes, we can have operatic violence, but like, these people don't fuck, they don't curse, the heaviest curse word they can say is shit, you know. Yeah, let (laughs) Let Spider-Man say fuck. I agree. (laughs) I agree, Purpurina, let Spider-Man say fuck. And so, it's a throwaway line in here, it's not like it's like a big rousing moment it's literally like shut the fucking window or something like that but like the fact that that disney is allowing that i think we're sort of seeing a little bit more freedom in this and i'm curious to see if that's going to set the tone because we've i don't know like i just i feel like i've seen a little bit of change in marvel movies in terms of like well disney plus is allowing you know the rated m like netflix movies on there and they're starting to like move in that direction so i feel like maybe they're like loosening the reins a little bit, hopefully because, you know, they're going to be having Deadpool and all that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if they're sort of like trying to test the waters. Oh. I don't know. But I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really good. Um, and I thought it was a very fitting end to the series. Okay. And also it has Cosmo, the dog, who is an astronaut. Oh. And she is a good girl. I love Gar- I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. Like again, like similar to you, I'm not a big Marvel person, but I really love the first one. Second one was fine, um, and I'm excited for the third one. I just like haven't prioritized it as much. I get it. But do you have to have seen any other Marvel shit to know what's going on? Girl, I haven't. Other than Doctor Strange, I haven't. Okay, seen so but, and you weren't confused, the, like, like or lost. Okay, I think that was my big. I thing. was a little confused. I, I forgot that Gamora died, like in one of the Avengers movies and then came back. And this is like a Gamora that does not realize that she had a relationship with. Oh, oh, that's right. Cause she got, she got caught in the end game or some shit. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. I don't know. Okay. I don't but remember. Most I'm of not, it, you didn't really need to have like seen like, no, weird ass obscure it is show like, or anything like, okay. The only one that I think probably like, um, well, I, I would say I think the one that you might want to watch is the holiday episode with Guardians that was on Disney Plus. Oh. Only because I guess in that one it's revealed that Mantis is like the half sister of Peter. What the fuck ever? Okay, like what is this shit? What I didn't know. I hadn't seen it, but like we live in, I swear to fucking God, with this Marvel shit. Like, goddamn, watch Peppergrass. Yeah. Fuck Marvel. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I agree, Pepperina. Don't give me a franchise where I have to do homework. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think that is the problem with the, I mean, this, that's, a whole, that's a topic for a whole other podcast. But I do think there is a problem with uh, the way that I think Marvel is, is kind of imitating the comic books, which is a huge uh, stopping point for me because I'm not about to read like all these comics and understand the differences between this run of comics. And I, I just don't, I don't have the patience or the time. I love that that is tickling an itch for someone. It doesn't tickle my itch. Uh, tickle my itch. So <laughs> incredible turn of phrase. 
So yeah, I, I think that if you've seen, I think if you've seen the previous two and you are aware that Gamora dies and that Peter Quill is the half brother of Mantis, I guess, I think that's how it worked. I don't know. I didn't see the, hol- the holiday special. It's just, they, there was a, a brief previously on at the Alamo and it kind of caught me up to speed. Anyway, that's Guardians. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about crazy, crazy women. I really let me some crazy really digging into like the very like tiny low budget indie hits this week because uh, that's what I have been okay. watching. But this is a movie that I'd kind of heard about and was curious about. It's Joe Lotriglio's uh, feature film debut, Outpost. Oh, okay. Um, again, put out by a production company that is like pretty small and sometimes doesn't always have like the best releases. But I had kind of heard about this, and it's about a woman confronting like abuse from an ex-boyfriend and as we all know that is like gets my ears kind of perked up to kind of see what it's about and so oh i know this well i don't know him but i didn't I yeah was like, he's, Bro- he's like the brooklyn 99 guy he's in reno 911 like he's in a, a ton he's a comedian like he's a guy no he's like a mm-hmm. comedy and he's like a character actor if you don't like know his name he's the kind of guy that like you look at him like oh i know who that he is but you don't know his name yeah. But his him and his wife made this movie. His wife Beth Dover, who is a comedian and is also was in uh, Orange Is the New Black. She plays this woman. Oh yeah. She plays this woman who basically, after getting attacked, like having undergoing a violent assault by her ex, instead of like dealing with her trauma, runs away to work at a fire post and looking for fires. And while she is isolated and alone with her PTSD, she kind of like starts losing it a little bit. It is overall a very interesting movie. I was pretty surprised with it um, in terms of like an examination of why we perhaps need to take PTSD more seriously and like what can happen if you really just like leave your trauma on like, like on taken care of, you know, very professional words. It gets a little bit like <laughs> wackadoo at the end in a way that is annoying, but I mostly really appreciate like a pretty fascinating examination, especially by a guy of a woman experiencing PTSD after attack by a part, like it's like a partner, like domestic intimate partner violence and kind of examining that and what that looks like. And I really enjoyed that. I think it's playing this line between being like an exploitation film from the seventies and eighties. And it's like playing with that a lot, but I think it ultimately kind of falls into those tropes towards the end. Unfortunately, even with that, I think there is something really interesting here that again, like it might just kind of get swept under the rug because it's not like a huge release, but I think it's something really interesting and a really interesting case of like a, of a character who we are with the whole time, who is an actual monster and it's a woman was undergone trauma and i think it's a really interesting look at like a nasty woman not in like the annoying like nasty woman sense but like literally the nasty lady (laughs) and the kind of nuances of both going through trauma and also maybe not being a good person and it is actually very interestingly handled and i really appreciate that perspective of complicated women it might not be like it doesn't like stick the landing fully, but I still appreciate that it exists, and I think it's like a movie worth talking about that I think deserves kind of a maybe more of a place in a conversation. It probably won't 
be in because it's such a small release. Again, like I'm saying. But it's like these two movies I watched this week are not like perfect, but I think they're really interesting and they're going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I at least want to try to be like, hey, if you want something a little bit weird and a little bit challenging, but also stars Dylan Baker, who you've seen in like a bunch of other movies, mm-hmm. like just try it out. Yeah. The initial, because like the moment, the moment you talked about basically going out into the wilderness to watch to be like a fire watcher there's have did you ever play the game yeah. fire watch mm-hmm. i was i thought of that game the whole time and it's like I was, I was, um, that's immediately like my reference point i was like oh yeah i remember yeah. playing that game that game is really good not the same not the same plot it doesn't sound like no no i like the idea but, yeah. of of uh of like that isolation and, and the fire watching yeah it's seeing the fire it is a really cool. and the setting is really pretty and they really did mm, like shoot mm-hmm. at an old fire watching tower. So like the view, it's just, it's really, it's his first time for making a movie. He really loves horror. He made something really interesting, and I think it's kind of cool to see comedians do stuff like this. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's that's out on Friday uh, as the release as the the day this podcast is out. It'll be on VOD or digital, so you can rent it. Uh, or buy it on digital if you are interested in checking it out. Cool, cool, cool. I want to hear about a decade-spanning platonic romance. It sounds beautiful. Well, speaking of beautiful, and speaking of uh, beautiful like location porn, I watched finally watched this movie that premiered at Sundance that I didn't get a chance to watch at the time because Sundance, their schedule was a little funky, and I really wanted to watch this one, and I just missed it. And it's, uh, I think it's in theaters right now, and it's coming out to VOD hopefully soon. It's called The Eight Mountains. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. And boy, when I sat down to watch this, I did not realize that it was a two and a half hour movie, (laughs) which... (laughs) which was quite a time commitment and it is it is speaking of being a little slow this one is a little slow because it is literally a four decade friendship that we follow from um these two kids that meet uh so there's there's one kid named pietro who um his every summer his parents well starting at the time of this movie um his parents his dad works his mom over the summer rents out a villa in this very small kind of dying town up in the mountains. Once there, Pietro meets um, this other kid who's his age, 
um, named Bruno. And the two of them, like the town has, has dwindled from being a couple hundred people to like a couple dozen. And there's no kids. Bruno is the only kid living in this town. And they kind of strike up this, this friendship in the summer and it sort of follows them at various stages of their life. So when they first meet as kind of preteen-esque boys to a falling out that happens when, when they're teenagers coming back over the summer. It's always in the summer because that's when Pietro's family moves up into this villa area. And then we follow um, them in their teens and they're and then like a briefly, I think in like their 20s and we're in like to, into like the 30s and 40 time frame of them meeting, being friends, kind of becoming brothers in a, in a way, a falling out in Pietro's family. And then Pietro's dad dies. And the main thrust of like the last half of the movie is his father wanted him to build this house um, up in the, the wilderness. And so the two of them start building this home for their father slash pseudo father in the case of Bruno. And it just sort of is like the ups and downs of, it's like an epic mumblecore of like, particularly in like the last half where it's, it's, it's kind of following Pietro is sort of like, he, he doesn't have anything to attach himself to. And so he's out there exploring the world while Bruno is, he only knows mountain life. And he says that he's been from a long line of tradition um, of people being in the mountains. And so he sort of does not want to leave that area. And it's just sort of like their intersection. And part of me was like, I really wish this was a little queerer. I was going to say, But the other part oh, of me is like, okay. yeah, but then the other part of me is like, this is actually a really interesting look at non-toxic platonic friends and, and male bonding and friendship that we don't see a whole lot of. And so like, part of me was like, I, I really want them just to like, fuck <laughs> but the yeah. other part of me is like no this is actually quite quite sweet yeah and sad and kind of depressing in the end but also life affirming and i don't know it, it's just it really moved me it's it is very slow because again it is kind of popping through various stages of their friendship and their relationship as it develops over the course of their lifetime yeah luca marinelli is really... in it and he's a hottie He's Pietro. Yes, he is. He's Pietro. Yeah, he is cute. And Bruno is like a hunk of dude. And that's why I'm just like, there's some longing looks here. And I think that you could probably read like an, a, a subtext that they are kind of like perfect for each other, but not, neither of them really realize it. I, I think you could probably read into that. But on its whole, it's just a nice platonic. <laughs> oh, my on God. Its on its whole. whole. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I'm bum uh, <laughs> it's just a really, it's just a really sweet story. So I don't know when it's coming out on VOD, but it is out. I think it's out in theaters right now and I really enjoyed it. So I recommend it. And to go from like a All very right. beautiful, lovely I know. movie, let's talk about, um, this. <laughs> this hot mess of a film. What did you think as a first time viewer? Of what? What's the movie, Terry? Tell us. Final, the final destination, but it's not the final destination, but it is the final destination. What the fuck is this? I texted you, said I'm in a foul fucking mood today, and I hope I don't know if this is going to make me feel worse or better. And let audience the answer is it made me feel worse. So, um, oh, <laughs> it made me angry. 
so like it was just All right. so bad. Why is it so racist? Like, why is everyone in this movie the absolute worst person on the planet? Like, what? what I, it, I, uh, 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 glitching. It's like they took everything about a Final Destination movie and, like, took out all the fun, like, good parts. For the most part, there are some good stuff at the end that, like, was interesting. But, like, they took out a lot of the stuff and they just made it, like, angry 2009 movie. And I, it's and like I guess maybe that whole point is that is what a 2009 horror movie is. And I was thinking about this as I was watching. I was like, 2009 was a weird year for horror, and I think 2009 is a very pivotal year in horror. In that, like, I think that was where like a lot of our rage, like post 9/11, has been concentrated for some reason. Like, I this is also might be so much academic bullshit put into the final destination. <laughs> You were thinking about this movie have, um, a lot more than I think anyone I ever has. I have brain worms, apparently, because I'm just, like, waxing poetic in my notes about 2009 Rage, when this movie is literally just, like, the dumbest thing I've, like, dumb. With some interesting, weird meta shit going on at the end. Again, I will give it that. It's, like... I, I feel like the Final Destination movies have, like, a sense of humor, but aren't... How do I? This one just felt like really angry. Do you know what I? Does that make sense? Okay. Like I because there's like I don't know why do we have to drop the N word and like have this like guy say that and yes we kill the racist but like for what and then we have like the Karen mom which again I know two thousand nine that was not like a thing and Karen on its own is also like a problematic thing but like this. I don't know. Like, something about it just felt, like, very angry and also kind of stupid. And it was very confusing. And I think I might be thinking about it way harder than I should be. But here we are. Uh, this is this is what happens when you, like, take any of the, like, characterizations and any of the, like, actual character out of characters and literally just sort of recycle tropes. We have like a character that is like, I'm in control of my life. We have like all these things that we've seen throughout the series. I think you could probably create ties to these very stock characters that are just boring and have no life or any spark of joy in them whatsoever. They do things that make absolutely no sense to things that they have done previously. Like the the one female friend, uh, I cannot remember what her name is, Janet, I don't even know who any of these fucking names are, like, to be honest with you. They all are just, like, nice boy, douchebag boy, nice girl. let's let's be honest. I don't think the people making this movie did either because some of the characters' names are MILF, racist. Like, the racist name is literally racist on IMDb. Uh, Racist's wife, MILF's husband, kid number one, kid number two. Like... These are the names that that have been assigned to these characters. And so I think we are dealing with literally like the the, the kind of the trope that that Roger Ebert used to rail against about the dead teens, the dead teens trope. This is literally just a dead teen movie. Like this is the movie that he would absolutely rail against because there's no point to these characters. They don't feel like real people. They don't have any personality. Janet at one point is like a believer in all this shit, but then the moment when things might be towards the end happening all over again, she doesn't believe it, even though she was firmly in the camp beforehand. It's like they make characters making decisions that don't make sense 
for their own character, let alone in like a real world type situation. It has stripped away any of the like vicious um, dark comedy to just be a bunch of splat stick jokes. Yeah. Like, it is literally just splat stick. Well, yeah. And then it's just like, there's like, t- like the set weird sex scenes. Like I don't just all, everything about it just felt like they just wanted to do kill scenes. It didn't have any of like attempting to give us any kind of character, you know, like, you know, and all the other ones, we at least kind of got to know our main characters and got to know a little bit of their backstory and like develop a little. This is also the shortest one. Yeah. Like 82 minutes. Like, they, these characters, they don't have backstories. We just know that they've Mm-mm. all dated each other and that, like, they all, like, hate the, the bro. And it's just, like, it's just, it takes away any of the heart. That, like, again, they're all che- kind of cheesy, but the all the other ones had some kind of, like, heart at the core of it. Like, you wanted them mm-hmm. to win. And in this one, you're like, I don't even know who you are. Like, I just, I don't, I'm not really cheering for anyone at this point. And it, it's a little bit, and it's, like, that's kind of disappointing. And it's like, it just like, doesn't it, it took, it's a classic example of someone taking a movie and like, you watch the movie, but you didn't understand the movie at all. Like you, you got like the surface level plot, but you didn't really get like what makes that movie like work for people besides the gore. Which is so surprising because again, we have David R. Ellis who directed the second one. And Eric and screenwriter Eric Bress, who also wrote the second one. So we have people that understand <laughs> what Final Destination was. And I don't understand because I was like, surely this was a movie that was like, we need to make another one and we're going to hire you and you're just going to come up with it within like a day turnaround. But according to what I find when I was doing some research on this, Eric Bress and, um, came to them with a script and they really liked it and so they greenlit it is apparently how this went down i'm like this does not feel like a movie that that's the case so i'm like what part of the script did someone say "Ooh, let's make this was it just that it has some really out there death sequences like i i don't i, I don't I understand don't, what i i don't get it that's so weird that's so bizarre plus I, I think the actual title for this movie should have been Structural Instability, the movie. Because everything in this in this in this world that they've created is just like failing. We have we have the the uh the race car track that is like obviously not up to code even before shit goes wild because we have cracks in the in the pillars and we have seats that are breaking. We have the the one woman goes to get her hair did. The ceiling fan is like oh god, loosening its socket. And the chair. Her chair is falling down. Something could be said about the rocky infrastructure of the United States government. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I will say my favorite note I took while watching this was at the beginning with the race car, like the race car track premonition, where I said death is using is a sniper and race car parts are his bullets. <laughs> He is kind of a sniper in this one because there's the even the woman that, that gets her hair done is killed by a rock that gets like I'm spit gonna out keep from... my eye on you. Eye on you. <laughs> also, this this movie was obviously made because they wanted to focus on the, the trend. Oh of 3D my god, the notes I movies. took where I was like, I can tell what you were trying to do here. <laughs> uh-huh. Plus, for a movie that has a $40 million budget, there is a lot of really janky CGs. Like this. Bad. 
just horrible. And this movie is expensive. Like it's it's more expensive, I think, than any of the previous ones. Like it has gone up in in price, and it looks cheap. It looks like it garbage. Looks so cheap. It looks so cheap. Ooh, that's rough. That is rougheroni. It's just not good. And I was curious to see if I was going to change my opinion on it, just because like I this is I had only ever seen this in the movie theater in three D. That was the only one and only time that I went to go see this, and I was like, well, maybe. No. no, and this definitely ripped. And if you've ever read Chuck Palahniuk's story Guts, it just like rips. Pardon my French. Uh, right from that, kind of. Well, mostly mm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. So I read. I I really hate the brainworms that you have when you know exactly what that is. And if you don't know what that is, bless you. Don't look it up. Oh no, go do look Terry, it up. Go stop listen it. to stop. a YouTube. Terry, save them. Go listen. Save them. Save them from from themselves. No, I read you that in go high to school. Why did I do that? I've known this I've known about this story for over half my life. That's not fair. I've been Go stained. to YouTube, search Chuck Polaniuk guts and listen to him. That I'm sure there's, I think there's some versions of him reading it because this was like one of his favorite stories to read at like um, writer Fucking reading freak. segments. Go, go listen to it and or read it. It's in his book Haunted. Uh, so if you want to read it, you can also go check out that book. Um, and yes, as uh, Perperina says, read it while eating, read it at church. These are both perfect activities to experience guts. I can't go swimming uh, without thinking about that goddamn fucking book every time. Anyway, uh, who were we talking to on Monday? We, we talked with Terrell Trotty, who is a YouTuber, and he has a, a series out of the the Overlook Theater. Is that what? Um, called Blue uh, Tuesday, Blu-ray Tuesdays with Terrell, and we met him at the Unnamed Footage Festival, and he is a delight. And he brought with him a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So we have now officially covered four of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies on this podcast. We sure have. And then next week, we are continuing. Yes, continuing. That This was not the final destination because they were like, we can't end the franchise. No. Like, this This was a goddamn disgrace. Um, on a wet part. <laughs> We are watching the fifth and currently final, but not actually because there's a new one coming out, uh, the fifth Final Destination movie next week. So our series is coming to an end. That was really fast. Jesus Christ. It was. But this is a movie that I remember enjoying. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it and remember it being a really nice coda to this series. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited. And anything has to be better than this movie. Yeah, God, Jesus Christ. Good lord. I mean, like, I will say, loved. I love a good opening title sequence. Like, that's the one thing they did right. Going through all the kills in the series. Yeah. With like the anatomic. And it looks like like a fucking fatality in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I like, but and they fucking do that at the end, but they don't do that for the rest of the movie. I was like, what the fuck is the point? Like, you could have done that the whole time, also- and that would have been interesting, but. What the hell? What kind of bullshit is this? Have you not, did you did you get knocked out and wake up and forget how to make a movie? Like I don't understand how this happened. Who read that script and was like, yeah, we're gonna have a racist guy call a guy the N word in two thousand and nine and be like, look, we then we killed him and it's like, all right, sorry, I just 
not only say the n-word but then drive to the man's house and is about to like build a kkk like cross in his yard we spend a lot of time watching this guy plan a hate crime yeah what the fuck and then he gets dragged down the street on fire which was kind of hilarious because it's like why can't we be friends like as he's being dragged like again i i enjoy that but i also don't think it was no no it's not necessary it was and then it's like never really mentioned again that like hey by the way this whole thing started with the black guy like finding out who's about to get hate crimed by this like insane racist and then it's like never bring it up again it's like yeah okay cool casual god damn it anyway also one final thing (laughs) i think it's wild that the that our main character gets like the most on the nose premonitions like everyone else has had to like scramble to figure out <laughs> what their kind of premonitions mean coming up whereas he has these like really horrible cgi uh 3d moments of things like literally saying dude this is what's going to happen they just said so lazy like jesus christ anyway it's so uh, lazy you've heard from us i can't talk about this movie anymore um <laughs> Someone bring this as your scarred for life pick, and then I can just bitch about it for an hour and a half. Um, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film we watched and have thoughts? If you have positive thoughts about Final Destination, do keep those to yourself, though. I don't want to hear about that. I've had a bad day. Uh, do you have suggestions for movies we should cover for our next series? Uh, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews, uh, and I'm also obviously feeling a little punchy, so if you really want to... Kaylee Dreadful. Follow the fucking podcast on Twitter, at Scarred Podcast. <laughs> and leave us a fucking review. Yeah, God damn. Or something. I don't know. We're, we're on Letterboxd. We're on Patreon. If you want to help support us, please send, give us a review. Make sure you're subscribed because it helps with the algorithms, all that kind of fun stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank while you. I am rude, I also love you deeply. Um, Thank you, every <laughs> Thank you, Eric Power, for our artwork. Uh, Buy Attack of the Demons on Blu-ray on Vinegar Syndrome. It's shipping. It's I got my shipping, shipping notification. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? 
It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>